right. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Hope you met someone new. That was a beautiful time of worship. Uh, let's do this. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you one. But if you have one, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, raise your hand if you need a Bible. They'll be passing out Bibles right now, but 2 Timothy 2, if you can't find it, it's right after 1 Timothy. So I know that will help you. Um, <laughs> but 2 Timothy 2, I'm really excited just for this weekend and this new year and some things that are happening. So uh, before we get into it, let me kind of explain where we're at. In, in two weeks, we're actually going to be starting the book of Philippians. Um, we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of citizens of heaven, just that God is, in a sense, colonizing earth through the kingdom of God. Um, and so we're going to start the book of Philippians in two weeks, and in two weeks, January 20th, that Sunday is our one-year anniversary. Uh, January 21st of this year, we had our, like, launch day, I guess you could say, as a church. So January 20th will be our one-year anniversary. After church is over, we're actually going to go to Sugar Sand Park in Boca. At 1 p.m., we're going to start. We're going to have, like, a little barbecue, potluck, play some games, have some face-painting person come out for the kids and, you know, the playground, all that. So one-year anniversary is January 20th. If you guys could make something, that would be awesome. If you'd like to bring something, that would be great. We're going to provide the hot dogs and burgers, but if you could bring something, that would be awesome. Uh, so today, that leaves us with today. Today we're beginning a two-week series, a vision series for 2019, and we're simply calling it Builds. As we're praying over 2019 and, and like the year ahead, the word that kept coming to my heart and mind was build. I know many of us have like a word for the year. Maybe you do that. Maybe you don't. Uh, but I know that some, it's discipline, it's love, it's, you know, new. I don't know what the word might be. Balance. But for us, we want to look at build. Um, and the idea is this. And we're going to talk about it much more next week as well. But Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. So Jesus builds the church and we just want to join him. We want to join Jesus in his work. And so we're going to look at 2019 as, remember last year, 2018, we spent the first year looking at the life and ministry on Jesus. And as 1 Corinthians 3 says, we just want to build on the foundation of Jesus. Amen? So the, this year for us is build. Build. So here's what we're going to talk about today in the next two weeks and just kind of get a feel for it. Uh, the first week is this, build. Build our community, who we want to be. All right? Build our community, who we want to be. Next week will be build the kingdom, what we want to do. So who we want to be, and what we want to do. First week, today, who we want to be, and next week, what we want to do. Who we want to be before what we do. And this is so important. We want to focus on like the internal things, who we want to be, before we say, let's go do something. So who do we want to be as a church? We want to focus on the internal before the external. Paul said it this way in Colossians 2. If you want to write this down, it's a great verse. Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, listen, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. We want to be built up in Jesus, established in the faith. Who do we want to be? Who we want to be? And so we're going to take this week just to talk about that. Um, it's the New Year's, right? I think we, we all realize there's who we are, and then there's who we want to be. And so sometimes there's a gap. There's a gap, I think, in my life for sure, probably a big gap. My wife would be like, yeah, amen, between who I am and who I want to be, who Christ wants me to be. And so we do want to talk about who do we want to be as a church? Like, what do we want to be known for? We want to, we want, who we are matters way more than what we do. Who we are to Christ, how we live our lives matters more than just what we're doing externally. So who are we? What do we stand for? So here's what we're going to look at. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying, listen, here's who you want in leadership. Here's who you want in your church. Here's what you should look for. 
So we're going to look at who we want to be. As Paul wrote to Timothy, he's going, here's who you want, Timothy. Here's who you should be looking for. Here's the, the characteristics of the people in your church who might lead or just serve in any capacity. Here's who you want them to be. So let's look at that. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 2. As we talk about building our community, who we want to be, I think 2 Timothy 2 fits that really well. So let's read it, and then we'll pray. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. We'll read through verse 9. Let's read verse 1. Paul says, <clears throat> You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and that's what we're going to do. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Amen? Let's pray and talk about who we want to be. Jesus, I just ask that um, this would be so much more than a word or a theme or a thought, but that, Jesus, you would build into our lives the character of Jesus, that, God, you build into our lives just who you want us to be, we have goals, we have visions, we have dreams, but Lord, we just really want your goal. We want your vision. Jesus, we want to build on you, on the foundation of Christ. And so, Lord, we do pray for just safety over this church. As Lord, I do believe uh, this is a threat to Satan and his kingdom, but we know at the same time the gates of hell shall not prevail. So we look to you, Jesus. We surrender to you in your name. Amen. You know, this is the time of year where everyone does this. We make New Year's resolutions. Now, I know whether or not you have any or whether or not you like the idea of it, I think you can see the, uh, the appeal of it. I think some people here, and I was kind of one of them, is like Scrooge towards New Year's resolutions. You're like, bah humbug, you can make New Year's resolutions any day of the year. Why one day? Like, and I get it, I get it, I know what you mean. But I think there is something about kind of saying, hey, it's a new year. Let's maybe hit the, the, the restart button in some ways. I think for many of us, when we look at that, when we look at the new year, it is a time for us to say, I want a fresh start in some area of my life. Now, let's be honest. The, the reality is we're the same person with the same bad habits. We're like, nah, new start, though. So how do we really kind of like tweak that? How do we actually fulfill that and live that out? Because the problem is this. I think you guys know the statistics right now. Like, all the articles are coming out on New Year's resolutions and how often they fail. Maybe you've seen this or heard this. 30% of New Year's resolutions fail after two weeks. So a third of you are going to fail by, like, next week. Uh, 40% after one month. 40% fail after one month. And it said that 60% of New Year's resolutions fail after six months. All right, so happy New Year's. Um, I know they're like, that's so discouraging. Why would you say that? I do think that we do have goals and we have vision and we have these resolutions we try to make, these commitments we try to make in our heart. And sometimes we do need to stop and ask, are we making the right ones? I think a lot of times what happens is we begin to question either, did I make the right resolution or am I able to fulfill it? Is this the right resolution and, and am I able to fulfill it? And I do think that sometimes we make the wrong resolutions. So think about it. For most of us, it is like, I want to lose some weight. I want to learn an instrument, maybe a new language. I want to get fit. I want to save money. 
And a lot of our goals or resolutions are external goals. But I do want us to think about this. Why don't we take inward focus sometimes and go, what are my inward goals? Not like I want to save more, but internally, what do I want to see happen? I think Francis Chan summarized this thought pretty well. He, he said it this way. He says, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. This is very challenging. I think that I set goals, and again, goals are not bad. External goals are not bad. Don't, don't hear that. But I do think we should search the internal matters of the heart. So, for example, why do I want to get fit? Why do I want to change careers this year? Why do I want to save more? And if you explore it, you go, man, I just want security. I want to feel safe. I need more money financially. I, I want to feel safe. Okay, let's explore that. I want a new career. Why? I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel like I have meaning. Okay, let's explore that. I think if we were to get to really to the matters of the hearts, some of these goals are, are they're good goals, not bad. But will they solve that deeper thing, that deeper longing of the heart, the longing for security, the longing for more power or authority, the longing for more whatever? Whatever external goal we have, ask, like, why? What is behind that external goal? You know, we've heard this verse a lot, but I think it's very fitting right now. It's Proverbs 4.23. He says this, and you guys know it, many of you do. He says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else. And some of you are like, guard your heart, I know, whatever, sorry. But guard your heart above all, the guard your heart can be misused sometimes. But guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Think about this. It determines the course of your life. I want you to think about the, the implications of this. He's saying the destruction and the destructive habits and behavior begin in the heart. If you think about the deterioration in maybe your life that's happening around you or something, maybe it's just it's a heart thing. We're blaming circumstances, people. Even the success in our life, if we want to have some successes spiritually, he's saying it begins in the heart. Guard your heart above all. For out of it just produces, it determines the course of your life. So think through this with me. We, I think we should be looking at more some in internal goals that we have. And how do we guard our hearts? And how do we have the right commitments, the right resolutions? What does this look like? And so here's what I want to look at today. Because Paul, in 2 Timothy, is sharing his heart for Timothy. So hear the context. 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul ever wrote. Paul is probably, most people believe, months away from being beheaded. He's in Rome right now, in prison, writing to his chief disciple, the person he spent the most time with. And he's writing to Timothy, and I want you to think through this, because when you know you're kind of like, Paul, he's in prison, he's on trial, he's going to be beheaded soon. When you're facing the end of your life, you're not just trying to shoot the breeze with someone. Like, hey, how about those dolphins, right? <laughs> like, you're not trying to do that. When you're facing the end of your life, that's when things get really clear. That's when you begin to think about what really matters. That's when like, I need to talk about some things that actually really matter, that will matter and shape your eternity and your soul. And here's Paul's heart for Timothy. He's like, you need to train up people. I'm going to die, you're going to die. Train up people, pass this on. And Paul's really pouring out his heart and things are getting very clear. And I think it's important for us to slow down as Paul shares his heart. I think it's important for us to know what, it, what is that? What does he want us to know? And so here's some things I want to point out. This is, in a sense, more of a leadership talk. We're not, talk. we're not dealing with the issues of salvation here. Paul is talking about what to look for in people as they serve Christ, who we should be as we serve Christ. It's not that you do these things to be saved. You're saved. You got your identity settled, but what are we looking for now moving forward? What kind of people do we want to be in this process? So let's read again, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I think verse 1 through 2, he explains, and then he gives three analogies of what, we're look, what he's looking for. But look at verse 1 and 2. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, I like how the ESV puts verse 2. It says, and trust these to faithful men. Now, by the way, men is the word for mankind there. That is literally the word speaking of people. People. And trust these to faithful people. So let's kind of talk through these qualities. He says, and trust the gospel and trust what I've given to you. Give it to trustworthy people and trust. You're going to trust someone you're handing this over to. Um, the idea of entrust, if you want to like write it down, it just means to put something of great value into someone else's care or protection. So for example, I don't know if anyone's ever given you something of great value. I don't know if someone's given you like a family heirloom and they're like, guard this with your life. You know, in about a month, I'm going to be holding my baby girl, which I'm so excited for, maybe like five weeks. And I'm sure everything within me, the first time I pass her off to someone, I'm going to be like, guard this with your life or it's your life, <laughs> right? There's something about like this entrusting, like I'm giving you something so precious and so valuable to me. The response you want from someone is what? I see the value of what you're get- giving me, and this is sacred to me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna tr- gonna to steward this well. So when I was like 18 years old, growing up in Southern California, I was a part of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, you know, I've, I've shared this before, but for like a year and a half of my life, we were blessed to be able to meet with a guy named Chuck Smith, who's who the founder of Calvary. And for, he was like in his late 70s, I think, at that point. And every week we're meeting with him, and we're going through the book of Acts. And he was very, you saw the, the sincerity in his eyes and the way he talked to us of, listen, he's like, my generation, my life, I'm coming, I'm coming to an end. The reason why I'm meeting with you young teenagers, we're like 18 or 21, he's like, the reason why I'm meeting with you guys is we got to pass on the torch. I'm here to pass this on, and you're here to pass it on. And he's like, you've been given something so incredibly valuable. You, you've been given something that's priceless. And I don't always know if I, I have what I hold in my hands, not just with the Bible, yes, but I don't know if I, I understand, like, the gospel, the riches we have in Christ Jesus. Like, I don't know if we, I don't know if I fully grasp what I have. I think this is something that I get so challenged by. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. Maybe you've heard this verse. He says, we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. It's not so true. It's like, I'm a fra- I'm, we're fragile. We're a fragile clay jar, but has this priceless treasure. And that is Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the gospel. We're stewards of the gospel. Paul says, find people you can trust. Let me ask you, are you trustworthy? When, when people look at you, are you a trustworthy person? and character, and lifestyle, and attitude? Are you, are you trustworthy? Would Paul trust you? Would Timothy trust you? Does tr- like, do we, are you trustworthy of this? Paul's saying, entrust this. And the second thing he says, what? Is to faithful men, to faithful people, faithfulness. You know, one of the most challenging conversations I think I had early on in ministry was a guy who I just respected pulled me aside, and this happened a lot, I feel like, in my life. But he said, he goes, listen, the call of God is on your life. That is clear. We see the gifting. We see the character, but you are inconsistent. And you come at your own pace, at your own time. You do what you want to do. You don't like people challenging you, and you're inconsistent. And it was so challenging because it's, it's one of the things. What does God look for in a steward? It is required in a steward, First Corinthians 4 says. It's required in someone who manages the things of God. It's required in the person who God's entrusted. It's required for them to be faithful. At the end of, of life, when we stand before Jesus, and Jesus talks about this. He says, I'm going to say what? Either depart from me, I never knew you, or well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithful. See, there's something about trusting someone, but are you, just, are you faithful? 
I, I know this can maybe be abused the same, but I think it's somewhat true. Maybe you've heard it, but the greatest ability is availability. And I think in many ways that's true. The greatest ability is availability. Are you just open and saying, God, uh, whatever you want, whatever you want, use me. You want me here at 815 to set up? I'm, I'm available. You want me to love this person or to give to this person? I, I'm available. And I think, honestly, God's looking for faithful men and faithful people. And Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, I'm in prison. I'm going to die. You need to find trustworthy men and women and faithful men and women. And I, the first thing and the third thing I want to look at in verse 1 is what? He says, be strong in grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. When he says this the way it's written, it's very passive. He's saying, receive the grace in Christ. There are those who strive for grace. There are those who feel like they want to work for it to feel good about themselves. And like, well, I get grace because I'm good. Nope, that's not how grace works. Grace is something passive that you receive. And he's just saying, be strong in it. Be strong in grace. Receive this grace that is in Christ. Honestly, one of the key characters, I think, for our church, for leadership, or anything, is are we people of grace? Like, I, we, my desire is to be a church of grace, people of grace, People that are not boasting in our works, but boasting in the finished work of the cross. Boasting in Jesus Christ. He's like, be strong in grace. Grace. Let's be defined by grace. I think if you study any, if you study any revival, there's always, it's really hard. People are like, oh, how do you make a revival happen? You, you don't. It's a work of the Spirit. But there's some certain common denominators. There's always going to be like a crazy prayer, a crazy amount of prayer. People who are like, you're praying like eight hours, stop it. Like, but it's, it's great. There's always a lot of prayer. Then there's usually an atmosphere, a culture of grace and love. People are like, I walked in and it was just so loving. It was like God's presence was there. God's grace was there. They're not judgmental. They're not critical. They're not questioning every little thing. They're just God's grace. God's grace was upon them. God's grace was upon them. And you see that in the scriptures. You see that just in church history. There's just this culture and community of grace. And I think where there's Pharisees, where there's legalism, it's very hard for there to be a fresh work of the Spirit. And I see that we need to be strong in grace. Let us be strong in grace, church. Be strong in grace. James says, James, a book that's focusing on works goes, hey, be merciful because you need mercy. Let us be strong in this. Let us rest in this. How I want to be known, how we want to be known as a people of grace. I think for any work, fresh work of God, there's going to have to be a culture of love, of grace. And yes, that will of course mean truth. That will of course mean standing for righteousness, of course. But being strong in grace is coming, constantly pointing back to the finished work of the cross. Not boasting in yourself, boasting in Jesus. Amen? He says, be strong in grace. Now, what's happening here? Because I want to point this out. If you look at verse 2, what is Paul describing? Simply put, he's describing discipleship, right? Commit these and trust these to faithful people. He's describing discipleship. And this is very important. He's, he's talking about disciple making. And here's a simple definition of disciple making. Disciple making is atten- intentionally and relationally investing oneself in the spiritual growth and maturity of others. Intentionally and relationally investing yourself in the spiritual growth of others. All right, so here's a few things I'm just going to point out really quick, really quick. When it comes to discipleship, there's a few components I want to point out. Uh, there's, first of all, there's content. What is your content? There's intent, and there's context. Really quick. Content, intent, and context when it comes to discipleship. What do I mean? The content. If I'm discipling something, what is, what is my content? Here's our content. It's the gospel. We're discipling them in the gospel, going back to the gospel. In Galatians, the church that was erring on legalism, Paul is saying, who's put a spell on you? That which began in the spirit, you're trying not to be, make perfect in the flesh. Paul is saying, get back to the gospel. Don't think that the gospel is the starting point for your faith. The gospel is not the starting point. It's the only point. It's the A to Z. It's not the ABCs. It's the A to Z of Christianity. It's everything. 
Always going through the lens of the gospel. That is our content. Not our weird idiosyncrasies, not our personal preferences. It is the go- that is our content. Proclaiming Christ and crucified. What is the intent? The intent is multiplication. The intent is let's make disciples. Let's multiply. Not just addition, but let's multiply. You know, our hope for groups when we do meet, and it's, it's cool when you see this happening, is we have a group that meets, and it's always hard when you have a group that after like a year, we're like, actually, this person's going to take half our group, and they're going to start their own group, and you're like, well, I don't want this to change. Like, no, it needs to change. <laughs> Be okay with that. Or there's new people coming to our group, and you're like, I don't like the, the vibe they're giving to our group. <laughs> they're changing that vibe. It's like, it's okay. Like, there needs to be multiplication. It's like, we need to embrace that and love that and divide and let the group grow back up a little bit and then divide again. Like, let there be multiplication. And then the context is relationship. And, and it is necessary to read books and podcasts and go to a different Christian, but great all that's necessary, all that's supplemental to our faith. But ultimately, we, we need to have it be relational. And, and I do see Jesus do this with one on 12 and one on three, and you see him do it in community, and I think it's so necessary. And then, here's what I want to point out. It's so cool if you look at verse two. Paul's talking about four generations of discipleship. Do we get that? Paul goes, hey, I've taught you. You teach others who can teach others. Me to you, you to someone else who can teach someone else. That's four generations of discipleship. That's what he's describing. He's like, discipleship cannot just begin with me, end with you, or go to you and end with someone else. Is, is that disciple making disciples? And is it, is it producing the gospel-centered? Is, is the content the gospel? Is it grace? Is it richness? Is, is it in that? And it needs to carry on a generation, generation, generation. And I love this. And maybe you've seen this before, but one of the most influential things in my life I feel like that I've ever seen was we went to North Carolina and we went to the, to the Billy Graham Library. If you get a chance, like, go to it. And you're like, who's, I know some, I mentioned Billy Graham one time. Someone's like, who's Billy Graham? I'm like, how dare you? But let's put a picture up here. Um, that's an older part of his, his life. Um, Billy Graham was one of the most influential people for the gospel in not just like the Western world, in the known world. I mean, he, his, his ministry came about, if you think about it, when the radio was coming about and the television. I mean, this guy was born in 1918 and died last year in 2018. He died in 99. I mean, one of the most influential lives. Actually, it's, it's fun to study this, but the Billy Graham Association that like, considers all the events and radio programs, everything he's ever done, they say 3.2 billion people have heard this guy's voice. That's insane. 3.2 billion people have heard him in some capacity. And I don't know if like, they have this in the library, and you can s- study this, but how he got saved, how it led to his salvation. I think he got saved at the age of 16. But here's how it happened. So we'll go back several generations. It's pretty cool. There's a guy named uh, Edward Kimball, who's a Sunday school teacher, who led a guy named D.L. Moody to Christ. Maybe you've heard of Moody. I don't know. Pretty cool guy. Um, but led Moody to Christ. D.L. Moody, was, he worked in a shoe shop, and I th- if he had, a, I think, a third-grade education, and he got saved in his teens as well from this guy named Edward Kimball. D.L. Moody led this guy named Wim- Wilbur, I love that name, I think of the pig, Wilbur Chapman to Christ, sorry. Chapman led Billy Sunday to Christ, who was an evangelist as well, a famous, I think, baseball player turned evangelist, Billy Sunday to Christ, he who led a better name, even a guy named Mordecai Ham to Christ. Some of you are hungry right now, and it happened to me. He led Mordecai Ham to Christ, and then Mordecai led Billy Graham to Christ at like a tent revival, what they call it. And then Billy Graham, and according to the Billy Graham Association, has led about 3.2 million, 3. million people to Christ. Spoken to 2.2 billion, I believe it was, and led about 3.2 million of that to Christ. And so on, and so on. And, and just here's the idea. You think about disciple making. You think about this guy who's a Sunday school teacher who literally had it moved in his heart one day as all the kids in my class, like, I need to go to them and be intentional. He goes to his work. He goes to Dale Moody's work, and he gets saved, and he's growing him in his faith, and he leads this person to Christ, and the next, and the next, and that is discipleship. And it can't end with Billy Graham, and it can't end with any one of, it must continue to the fourth generation, and so on, in your lifetime, in my lifetime. That's what Paul's saying. 
Here's in my life, Paul goes, Timothy, give it to faithful men who can pass it on as well. See, I, I wanted you to think about, again, the context really quick. Please hear me on this. So Paul is writing to a pastor in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very, very large city, very wealthy city, a lot of trade happening not far from the coast. Uh, there's a lot happening in that city of Ephesus. There's temples dedicated there uh, to, you know, the goddess of Diana and Artemis. There's temples dedita- dedicated to the gods of sex, literally. If you guys remember, Paul actually in the book of Acts spent three years in Ephesus. So the, the, the church that Timothy is pastoring is Paul's heart. Spent three years there, very long time for Paul, who is constantly on the move. You know, Caesar's actually kept a lot of money in the banks to these gods and these, these pagan gods. And, and here's the idea. There's a lot of people in Ephesus for a lot of reasons. A lot of people were there for trade. A lot of people were there for maybe just travel, for, you know, enjoyment. A lot of people were there for a lot of reasons. I think we live in a very transient area. People are here for trade, for work, for travel, for fun, whatever it might be. Paul is saying, sift through that. Find people who are faithful, who you can trust, who are people of grace. And he goes, this is who you need to commit it to. This is who you need to pour into. And I think Paul, <laughs> he, he says the least attractive phrase to recruit people. And I love this about Paul. In verse 3, he's like, join me in suffering. <laughs> we need to hear that. It's funny. In the ESV and the NLT, it says, share in suffering. Endure suffering along with me. See, Paul's saying, I want you to be in leadership, and I'm suffering. Want to suffer with me? <laughs> Paul is such a good vision caster. <laughs> like, he's just going, hey, be, be a leader, suffer. There's a side of this where that's very true. There's a side of this where, we're, yes, we're not in the Roman Empire, we're not facing persecution like they were, but there's a side of this where you, your family, will suffer from outsiders, from insiders. You'll, suffer, you'll go through it. You'll experience a lot of pa- suffering in different ways. A- and listen, here's the thing. You will never build anything without suffering. You and I will never build anything without suffering. If we want to build anything, there's going to be blood, sweat, tears, tiredness, frustration. Nothing's going to be built without suffering. I don't think there's anything ever built without some sort of pain attached to it. Paul's saying, join me in suffering. And again, that should narrow the scope a little bit. Because people are like, no, it's going to peace out. But Paul's like, join me in this. Timothy, find people who want to join you in suffering. Find people who want to suffer along with you. Share this with me. And let's read, because he gives three analogies of what he's looking for for people, and I think these three analogies are so appropriate. Now, let me just say this. We're only going to study two of these three analogies, because I'm going to save one for next week. So we're going to get two of these three analogies. Uh, first three, just to like, talk about, he's looking at a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. We're going to focus on a soldier and an athlete today, all right? Because we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3 next week, where it talks about farming as well. So Paul just had his similar analogies. Maybe you get sick of mine. We all keep it the same thing. Um, but a soldier and an athlete. He says this, a, be a soldier, not a civilian. Be an athlete, not a spectator. And please hear those two things. That's what we're going to talk about. Be a, be a soldier, not a civilian. That's what you should be looking for, who we want to be. Be an athlete, not a spectator. So let's look at verse 3. Verse 3. He says, You therefore must endure hardship as a, gold, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, I want you to, Paul's mindset and perspective in this, just understand, is he's chained to a Roman guard various times in his ministry. He knows, like, Roman culture very well. So Paul has in mind this idea of, like, man, when you have a Roman soldier, you have someone who's all in. So, for example, if you committed to serve in the Roman army, you served for 20 years. During those 20 years, you could not get married. 
big commitment, right? 20 years, could not get married. The other thought, too, behind being a Roman soldier was um, uh, you had to actually get a tattoo on you of the legion or the, like the, your area of service. You had to get a tattoo. Like, basically, Rome's saying, we own you. We own you. You're, you're a property. And Paul's describing somebody who's saying, I want you to be all in. I want you to be a soldier. Look for soldiers, not civilians. I don't know. We have military people service here for sure. We have people who served overseas for sure. I don't know if you ever talked to someone who just came back from overseas, and right, right when they get back, it's like, it's culture shock. You know? It's like while they're overseas fighting ISIS, I'm like eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I'm like, this is great. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, it's so, it's culture shock. You know, it's very difficult almost to get applica- acclimated back in a culture. I don't know if you've ever seen, like, the movie Hurt Locker. They have a scene where this guy who's, like, disarming bombs and IEDs, he's, he comes back, and he's in the grocery store, and he's like, what is, where am I? I'm in the grocery store. It's like countless food. I was just fighting people the other day. Like, it's culture shock. Paul is saying, be a soldier, not a civilian. Don't get entangled with the things of this world. And I do think, guys, if we think about this military comparison, I think there's a lot, there's a lot there for us to, like, relate to in our lives. Here's the idea. When you're in military, he's saying, you have an identified enemy. You have an identified enemy. Let me just say this. If you don't have a Satan in your biblical theology, you will turn people into Satan. And this is very true. If you don't have a Satan in your biblical theology, people become the enemy. They become the person you're fighting against. You know, I, Mike shared a few weeks ago a little bit about this, how the enemy is the enemy. There's a verse you guys know in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, there are schemes, there are plans. That word scheme literally means strategies. He's like, the enemy has strategies. We as a church need strategy. We need to put on the armor. We need to be aware of the fight. If you don't have a, a Satan in your biblical theology, everyone will turn into that. Everyone will become your enemy. Know who you're really fighting. And there really is something about this. So here's something I want to, I guess, point out for, for us. Um, I think there's a lot of people in the church and in life where we want to deal with the fruit but not get to the root of things. So in the church, we can say, oh, there's bad fruit. And we try to talk about the bad fruit, but we don't get to the root of the problem a lot of times. And I think more and more we're trying to say, I think for every 100 people that are looking at fruit, there's one person looking at the root saying, let's get to the root of the problem. How do we get to the root of the problem? What, what, what is the diagnosis of the heart? Is it bitterness? Is it envy? Is it this lust for power? Is it the selfishness, the selfish ambition? What is it? What is the root of it? And I think a lot of times people deal with the fruit, but we don't really get to the bottom of it. And I think we want to be people that get to the root. So for us, this isn't just a silly, it might not be a silly example, but this is an example. We do want to have this prayer walk on Thursday that I've mentioned, and I'll mention again. We do want to have this because we want to get to the root of the problem. We're hoping on Thursday night, we're going to do a prayer walk in Deerfield. We're hoping to have our whole church go out. You know, I'd love to see 100 people walking the streets praying. And people be like, what is going on? Is this like an anti-something rally? Like, what is going on? Listen, we're here to pray. We're here to advance the kingdom through prayer. We're going to pass out little prayer cards to everyone and just a list of things to pray for. And I think that this, we might not always see that, but I think this gets to the root of the problem more than we realize. I think our prayers for our area, for our community, will deal with the root more than we think. See, we want to have a strategy in this. Can I even point out this way? There's a book um, that talks about the mind of a fighter. Like, what kind of mindset does a fighter have? Those who, like, enter the UFC cage, like, they're interviewed, and he talks about the one thing they all have is this, like, crazy aggression. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's no surprise. But, like, an insane amount of aggression that they can har- harness towards their enemy. And the thought behind that for us is I feel like in the church we have a lot of passiveness towards Satan and, and his work. Like, passivity is not welcome towards Satan and his kingdom in church. You don't see that. Paul's like, enter war, put on, put on the armor. You're about to fight a battle. Paul's very, like, bold in this, and we got to know who our enemy is, because it's not the people. It's not people who have different worldviews than us. 
they're not the enemy, they're casualties. We're to be paramedics to them. We're not saying you're the enemy, your worldview is, no. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And there's something about that we've got to understand that they're not the enemy. We're not trying to like rise up this army against the world. Like, no, we know who our enemy is. But he talks about this aggression because here's the thing. I want to be aggressive when it comes to people who go back into addiction. Like, we shouldn't be okay with that. We shouldn't be okay with someone who's maybe messing around in their marriage. We shouldn't be okay with those who are just flirting with sin and be like, oh, whatever. Like, we need to be aggressive about like, no, no, we're going to fight this with you. We're going to come alongside you. We love you too much to let you go back to this. There's a side of this where, guys, why we're going to partner and talk about this more next week, what next week, but why we're going to partner with four kids, why we want to partner with Firewall, why we want to partner with Hope South Florida that deals with homelessness, because we realize, hey, there's kids that, that don't have a home, that's not okay. Like, that should bug us. There should not be this mindset of, that's someone else's job. <laughs> that, that is so dangerous. Someone else will do that. The leadership will do that. Like, no, that is us. That is the church body. The whole point of this time is to equip believers for the work of the ministry. That is your role, just as much as my role. We're, we're here to say, like, that's not okay. That's not okay anymore. We're going to fight for that. We're going to fight against that. We're going to engage in that. Some of you might become adopted parents or foster parents. Some of you might start tutoring kids. Some of you might, you know, start giving to just different ministries in that, in that sense. There's going to be a part where we're going to fight against this. We want to be a part of that fight. It's going to cost time and money and energy. It's going to cost a lot, but it's a worthy fight. It's a, it's a fight that ultimately Jesus won the war, but we're still fighting these battles right now. And we're engaging in that. And so Paul's saying, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for someone, and I, the, wor- the word he uses entangles. We're looking for someone who, who, and the word is actually weaved. We're looking for someone who's not weaving civilian life into, like we're looking for someone who sees it this way. They're not getting entangled with the things of the world. They're not getting sidetracked or sidelined. Like the illustration of like me eating Ben and Jerry's while there's a like, war going on. There's an idea like, no, no, we're going to engage in it spiritually. When we're driving our car, we're going to pray over the schools we drive by. Say, God, let the gospel go into these schools. Like, we're going to take those moments, and f- we can fight it in every moment. We can see someone at Starbucks who's lonely and just go, let me buy you coffee. Like, we're going to engage in this warfare. Amen? That is our hope. To not be entangled with this civilian life. Guys, as we talk about this year, and, and especially in the book of Philippians, the whole point is, you're citizens of heaven. Start bringing heaven to earth. Start inviting people into this. So his first idea is, be a soldier, not a civilian. Number two is this, be an athlete, not a spectator. Please hear that. Be an athlete, be an athlete, not a spectator. Look at verse 5. He says, and also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, when he says consider what I say, I'm like, okay, what? So here's some of the things I, I found on this. Um, compete according to the rules. Here are some of the rules. You had to be born in the right nation under the Olympic law, this law. You had to agree to 10 months of intense training, and you had to compete according to the rules established in, in the games. So here's kind of the idea whether it's a training or whether it's, uh, you know, competing according to the rules, a lot of this was done in secret. A lot of this was done before the actual games. Before they would go out and compete, a lot happened behind the surface. Most of it happened behind the surface. So, for example, character matters. Uh, integrity matters. He says the rules, like, doesn't matter if you're fighting or competing, but you're, you're disqualified by your life. That matters. It matters how we live. It's very hard for someone who's like, I want to disciple others, but you go, but your life's out of order. Maybe you should just be a little bit, be a disciple, get fed, get filled, compete according to the rules, get, get just your life in order in that way. You know, a thought from the guy named Dallas Willard, who, if you've ever read anything about Dallas Willard, he always just addresses the heart, and he always just addresses, like, character and integrity. And here's what he says. It's a longer quote, so bear with me. All right, sorry. He says, however we may understand the details there can be no doubt on the biblical picture of human life 
that we were meant to be inhabited by God and to live by a power beyond ourselves. Human problems cannot be solved by human means. Human life can never flourish unless it pulses with me the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. But only constant students of Jesus will be given adequate power to fulfill their calling, to be God's person for their time and place in the world. They are the only ones who develop the character that makes it safe to have such power. Here's the idea. He's like, God has given you a power through the Holy Spirit to live out and, and carry out God's mission on earth, but to harness this power, your character must be there as well. How can you compete if you don't live by the rules? There's a lot that's done in secret. There's a lot of training that's done in secret before you ever get out there on the field. And I think this is very important because sometimes we're quick to send, like, go, go, go. But it's like, no, maybe you need to train longer. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to grow a little bit more. So we know this verse. It's a really good verse. Paul just likes athletic sports and stuff, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Like, if you're ever sick of sports being quoted in church, Paul does it. All right, so 1 Corinthians 9, uh, here's what Paul says. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Really quick, so what I, what I appreciate about this is um, a, lot of, a lot of, you know, preparation for an event is done in secret and it's done in private. It's not really seen. People have no idea. They just kind of see like, oh, this person's on stage. They're doing something. It's like a lot of it's done in secret and private. So, for example, no one just wakes up spiritually holy, okay? It's like one day you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, honey, I like, I'm holy. Like, I feel... I can feel holy. And your spouse is like, I can, I can see it. It's, yeah. Like, that just does not happen, right? It's not like you had a really good night of sleep. I wish that was true for, like, working out. That, like, what if that was for working out? Like, I work out one day a year. Boom, I'm good. One day a year, it solves all the problems. No, it's, it's ongoing training. It's never ending in that sense. And that's what he's saying spiritually. Spiritually, it's not like there's going to be one moment. I remember as, like, a teenager, I wanted to go to one summer camp or, like, one conference and be, like, a powerful Christian. Be like, oh, that one conference? Hey, guys, <laughs> now I'm ready. Like, it's never that one moment or that one high. It's constant and consistent discipline done in secret. It's just done in secret. Before you see someone ever, like, before you see the LeBron, you go, oh, he's so, he's naturally talented. No, a lot was done in secret. <laughs> and he's 6'9", and yeah, naturally talented. But a lot's done in secret. But there is that side for us, that spirit, it's done in secret, it's training, it's working on it, it's ongoing, this is what he's saying, and here's even the point, on the, uh, on th and, and the point of this, he's saying, listen, they're doing it for a prize, there's a goal in mind, there's a goal in mind. Can I say, like, the purpose of training is not just to train, we train for something in mind, there's a goal in mind, and we should have a goal in mind, it shouldn't be, I just want to be spiritually strong, why, so I can be spiritually strong, no, that's wrong. There, there should be the goal is, I want to know Jesus. I want to enjoy Jesus. I want to rest in Jesus. I want to bring Jesus to the world. First, I want to enjoy him before I share him. First, I want to know him intimately before I ever tell anyone else. You should know him intimately. Th there, there's a side where why do we train? Why do we do what we do? He's saying there's a goal in mind. And, and in him, Paul, he talks about this, this prize. He said, hey, all these people work really hard for, an, for a perishable wreath, for a perishable crown, we for an imperishable crown. Really quick, I just think it's fun to know this and, and exciting. I don't really know fully what it means, to be honest, because this is difficult for me, but there's five crowns mentioned in the Bible. Really quick, we'll just throw these five crowns mentioned to you, and I'll maybe share what it could be. Uh, there's the incorruptible crown that we just read. This is for those who consistently practice self-discipline and self-control over their physical and spiritual appetites. 
There's the crown of righteousness mentioned. This is for those who eagerly look for Jesus' return and live a righteous life in view of this fact. So Paul describes it. There's a crown of life, the Bible says. To those who, this is the sufferer's crown. This is given to those who faithfully endure and persevere under trials and temptation in life. There's the crown of rejoicing. This is the soul winner's crown given to those who win people for Christ. There's the crown of glory. This is for those who have faithfully and willfully pastored or shepherded the church of God. There's these five crowns mentioned in the Bible. I don't fully understand this. Some think that these five crowns might represent five like, different positions or authority in the kingdom of God, possibly. It literally could just be crowns. In Revelation 4, we see the elders before the throne just throwing their crowns, it says, before the feet of Jesus. Do you understand when Paul uses this idea of crown and winning and winning for a perishable crown? Like, they would understand. Back in these games, you would win, and if you serve the God of sex, you serve the God of power, you serve the God of money, guess what you'd do after you won? They would go to that temple and take the wreath and throw it to that God. And they say, oh, the fruit of my labor is for you, for a pagan God. And Paul's saying, you're working for the God of gods, for the king of kings, for the one true God. He goes, you can lay it before him. You can get, just like the elders in Revelation 4, it's for him. It's weird, I, this is just a hit my, I don't know, my memory. I was like a kid, and I was at my house, and I remember this so clearly. Um, I don't know why this was joked about, but like my, my brother, I think, said to one of his friends who's over, he was saying, um, he's like, can you hand me that? And the person's like, no, like they're being lazy. He's like, come on, you'll get a crown in heaven. Not true. And he just says that. And the person goes, I don't want a crown. I'm just going to lay before Jesus' feet anyways. And I remember hearing that at like 12. And I was like, huh? That was the perspective. I don't want to, cr- I'm just going to lay it before his feet anyways. And I go, uh, I want that. <laughs> don't you want that? And it was such a sad thought to me of like, because it's why we want personal glory. We, we, want, we want personal people. Look at me, look at my authority, look at my, rather than saying, God, you get the glory. I don't care if everyone ever knows my name. I don't care if everyone ever sees, you get the glory. This is for you, Jesus. That's the heart we're looking for, not personal gain, not personal power, just you, Jesus. And so we see these crowns being mentioned, and here's what Paul's saying, be an athlete, not a spectator. Hey, church, hear that. Let's be an athlete, but not a spectator. It's funny, we've created like a business out of spectating, right? Just think about this, like, think about how big spectating is. I remember the first time I went to a college football game, because I'm, sorry, I just, if you're going to hate, some of you are going to hate me right now, but I was just never in, into college football, because I was in California, and I don't know anyone who played football. I don't know, they surfed, and I played basketball. I was a weird, I was, I was the weird one, playing basketball, not surfing. But I remember the first time, like, USC football was definitely big in Southern California. There's like a USC store in our malls. I'm like, why is there a college store in a mall? But I remember going to a USC football game because we played for the, the coaches that day and they gave us free tickets. Uh, we played basketball for the coaches. They gave us free tickets to the football game. I remember walking into the Coliseum in like LA and like the faces are painted, bodies are painted. There's like a thong and everyone's just painted. I'm like, what is going on? Like it's just craziness to me. And I'm like, this is a cult. Like this is a cult. People are like chanting and hitting drums. I'm like, where am I? Like it was, it's freaky how we've made like sports and spectating cultish like. And it's funny. I think that can happen. The church is like, this is my favorite person my favorite athlete, my favorite pastor, were like, no, no, like, we're all in this. Like, let's get out of the spectating. Let's all be in this. Let's all be a part of this. Paul's saying, look for those who will compete and compete with character, who compete according to the rules. Don't be a spectator anymore. And then he talks about farming, which I do want to wait just because I feel like it's so necessary for just us because we're going to talk about that next week. But he talks about being a farmer, not a consumer. Then let's read verse 7 through 9. We'll close with these verses. Verse 7, Paul writes, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was 
raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer. Or sorry, verse 7 is this. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. That's important. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Okay, so it's two things. He says, reflect and remember. Hey, consider. Consider what I've said. That's what we just try to do. We try to consider what he means by an athlete, consider what he, what he means by a soldier. He goes, and remember Jesus, and remember his death and resurrection. Remember that. Reflect on what I said, remember Jesus. I think we have that scene, like, remember the Alamo, remember Pearl Harbor. He's like, remember Jesus. Keep this in the forefront of your mind. Keep the gospel in the forefront of your mind. Remember him. And then he closes with this. I'm in chains, Timothy. You need to raise up men because you might be in chains. They need to raise up men because they might be in chains. Keep it going. But guess what? Even though I'm chained, the word of God can never be chained. Even though he might chain me, persecute me, rip this book up, it will never be chained. We know the word of the Lord endures forever. We know that it'll constantly go forth. God is so faithful as we sung this morning, even when we're faithless. Even if there is a generation of, of us not, God would still get his word out. But let's be a part of it. Let's build the kingdom. Let's build our community. Let's be established in Christ, built up in him. Let us be those who remember and consider the words of Paul. Let us be that soldier. Let us be that athlete. Because guys, beyond the soldier's war is victory. Beyond the athlete's efforts is the prize. We got to keep this in mind that Jesus was the greatest soldier of all who defeated sin, hell, and death, right? Jesus is the soldier of soldiers. Jesus is the athlete of athletes who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We were his prize. We were Jesus' prize. He is the athlete. He's the soldier. He's the one who sowed into the kingdom and produced much fruit. He's the farm. He's all of it. And he's saying, join me in this. Be a part of this. So here's what I want us to end with for, for us and our community and our family and our church family. Here's some things we're praying over for 2019. I'm going to ask that you would join me in prayer for this, that you'd be a part of this, that'd be more than prayer, that we'd become active in this, all right? And actually, I'm gonna, we're going to end with calling our, our group leaders up here, and we're going to pray over them because we start groups this week for the next year. And we just want to pray over group leaders who are also being a part of this. So let me just go over a couple of quick things really quick. So if we could put the slide, just build our community. I don't know if that's there. But for build our community, it's like the second to last slide. Um, here's the, the things I want to talk through. First is this. I mentioned this. is the prayer walk. All right, so the prayer walk. I'm, I'm really hoping, honestly, that like right now, actually, do you guys mind doing this? Grabbing your phone and putting your calendar, Thursday night, January 10th, 7 p.m. Don't be late, please. You'll be like walking alone. But January, uh, Thursday night, January 10th, 7 p.m., we're going to park in the cove, and we're going to pass out prayer cards, and we're just going to start walking. We're going to walk over the bridge. We're going to walk kind of like turn left by Island Water Sports, if you know that area, and then down to the Deerfield Pier and walk on the beach and then walk back. We're just going to walk around and pray. Cool? Um, I'm going to ask that you would come and join be a part of that. I want to start off this year just and continue this year in prayer, but let's start off in it. I think that's going to be very, very important for us. Um, I do want to talk about groups because to me, I, I want to make sure that you guys know like, so we don't just like have, I don't want to just have groups. That's not the purpose. Like, oh yeah, we have groups. I, I want to be a church made up of groups. You know, I do believe that's not just a service to attend, but a community to belong to. That's something we want to say with groups. We're not a service to attend, but a, com- a community to belong to. Um, please be a part of this. We meet Sundays, and I love, we look so forward to Sundays and seeing you and laughing and hanging and talking, but like, I would love to see you midweek. I think we have nine groups this year. We'd love for you to be a part of that. We'd love for you to join that. There are in different cities, a couple in Deerfield, Coral Springs, Coconut Creek, I think one in Margate, like we're trying to be around. We would love for all of you to be a part of that. 
really looking forward to what God's going to do in groups. Um, I'll even talk more about groups in a second, just kind of how they work and run. Uh, I do want to talk to you about investing in our leaders. We're just praying through this year. I'm not sure what this will look like completely, but right now I'm working on just a process of trying to invest intentionally in, in having deacons, as, as Paul talked about, um, not to lay hands on anyone speedily, so we're not trying to do that. Um, but we do want to get some established deacons in order, and so those are things that we're praying through and praying over. That's one of those things. Uh, we want to invest in our leaders just in different ways, whether it's resources, trainings, sending people to different things, conferences, investing in, like, my hope is to, Galatians 6 says this, do good to all, but especially the household of God. That's our hope. We want to do good to all, especially take care of your home, take care of your home church. That's part of our goal. Um, we're going to do something on once every other month called Connect Sunday. This will be for new people. So we'll do this every like eight weeks, like every other month. And if someone's new in the last eight weeks, we're going to say, hey, meet us in this room. There's some food or snacks. Here's some people at our church who serve, get to know them. We know that you can come in and go, I don't know people, and we want to have something for them. So that's what we want to build into our communities through that as well. We're praying through this year organizing something, but getting it ready maybe for next year, like a growth track, which would just mean like welcome to church. What is church? What is your role here? What is the gospel? How do you be a part of the church? How does church not something you just go to once in a while? You are the church. What does that mean? What does that look like? So we're going to try to have like something that we do maybe once or twice a year for anyone who's new and like how, how, what is my role here? How do I fit in like 1 Corinthians 12? All, every part matters. Every single body part of the body of Christ matters. What does that look like? So we do want to talk through that. We're praying through office space. We're not there yet, uh, but we would love to try to get to a place where we could have some office space. This would be for trainings for kids ministry, for hospitality, for the, the church as a whole. It'd be great to meet people for premaritals, not in, in <laughs> Starbucks all the time. <laughs> we're just like, hey, let's talk about this issue in front of like 10 people. Um, it'd be great to have some office space. We're just praying through that. Um, and that does just require resources. Lastly is, is just giving, something we don't talk about a lot, but we do view this as a family, and if you are part of the family, we'd ask that you would give. If you're new here, welcome, don't, don't give. <laughs> we just want to, we, we honestly give because God has been so generous to us. That's what Paul says, you know, that, that the <laughs> we have this crazy grace and gift from God. How could we not give? We serve a God, we serve the giver of all. We're made in his image, so we're going to be givers. For me, my wife, and I, and this is not for everyone, but we feel like God's calling us to increase our percentage because we feel like we need to be stretching our generosity, but that I know that's not for everyone by any means. We do view it, though, as a family that we cannot do this without you guys. You know, I, I personally look at the tithe as not the ceiling, but as, as the floor. Under grace, under this <laughs> wonderful idea of grace, do we give less? We have a better covenant, as Hebrews says, and for some reason, Christians are like, oh, I can, I just don't get, I don't, I personally, it's hard for me to understand. If you've been recipients of grace, you just go, I want to give, it's just going to be natural. But don't give out of obligation by any means. Paul says God doesn't want that. God loves a cheerful giver. We want to be out of cheerfulness. But there's that, there's that side too for us. We can't do this without people, time, resources. I mean, that's just a very real thing. Next week, we are going to talk about building the kingdom and other ministries and serving, even with, serving within the church and then looking out as well and just some plans and hopes for, for next year a little bit. Um, but those are some things we're just praying over. There's some things we're asking you to pray, pray with us for. Next, like I said, we're going to actually end by praying over group leaders, so don't come up yet, but almost. Our groups, just so you know, like, what are groups? Basically, our groups meet three months on and one month off. So we're going to have groups January, February, March, take off April, May, June, July, take off August, September, October, November, take off December. We want them to be refreshed. <laughs> pray for your group leaders. Um, encourage your group leaders. They're committing for a year to have this community. Our hope is that 
after a year, maybe their group can s separate, divide, and then regrow again, those two different groups. Uh, we want multiplication in discipleship like we talked about. Um, the other thought is we're going to do monthly. Our goal is to do a monthly outreach as a group. We don't have like a missions department or an outreach like coordinator. That'd be great. Like, hey, this guy does outreach for us. We're just like, hey, groups, here's a little bit of a budget. Go bless your community. Be creative with it. So we give them a little bit of a budget to say, every month, can you bless your community? Sometimes we'll say, be a part of something we're doing as a church. Like in March, we're doing a bigger outreach. We're going to say, hey, groups, can everyone do this instead of your own thing? Um, but we're going to try to do it through groups as well. And again, as I said, it's not a church to attend, but a community to belong to. That is our hope. Um, we Listen, something you might see, or I don't want just these to be sayings. We are community, a community following Jesus. That's what it is. A community following Jesus. Seeking the glory of God, the good of the people, and the renewal of South Florida. That is our prayer. That is our aim. We will fail. Let us be strong in grace. <laughs> Amen? Let's do this. If you are a group leader, could you just come? Uh, I'll come right down here with you. Can you just come up to the front here? And we're just going to pray over you. So group leaders, you come. And you guys can clap for group leaders. They give a lot of time and energy. <laughs> Hey, so no offense to all the group leaders, but this is my favorite group leader. This is my wife, Kimber. And this is our baby, question mark name. We don't know the name yet. Um, but I'm just going to ask guys that, um, again, this is in a sense like a sending. We do want to pray over them, cover them in prayer. You, they'll get tired. They'll get frustrated. Let's just keep them in prayer continually. Amen? And guys, here's the leaders that I would love for you to go see afterwards. We have three tables in the back with all their names and the day and the time they meet. Um, we would love for you guys to just meet them. Um, we actually have one group that's like a mixed gender group with James and Noemi here. Just get a little shout out for them because it's our only guy-girl group combination. We have some other just girl groups, other guy groups. Mike and Angel are a couples group for those dating, engaged, or married just to invest in porn to couples. And so um, we do want to keep them in prayer. And I ask that you would meet them like in the back because they're just going to be standing there sad if you don't meet them. So go, <laughs> go meet them and say, tell me more about your group. That would be, be awesome. All right, so can you guys extend your hands and we're just going to pray over these group leaders here. Let's do that. Father, it's, it's humbling to serve <laughs> with people I know who love you and who love you deeply and who sacrifice deeply. And I know there's many things that people don't see behind the surface for all of those who serve, the group leaders here and all of those who serve throughout this, this church, this school. <laughs> but Lord, we thank you. I thank you for all the men and women up here. God, bless them. Let their conversations be fruitful. Let it be about spreading the gospel. Let it be about grace Jesus, let people who are new or unsure or still wondering, what is this? God, give them those, those perfect words at the right moment, the right time to speak into their lives. God, we know that all of us here, all of us here need discipleship. So God, I ask for the leaders that we'd continue to get invested in ourselves, that we'd be intentional with that, that God, the leaders here would feel loved and, and served well. So bless them, Jesus. The people who are, even just all of us here, th those sitting God, fill them with your spirit. Let them see that they're not just an attendee in a group, that they have a role to play in a group, that there's people that need them to show up. God, let more spin-off groups come from this. More one-on-ones are just welcoming people to the body of Christ. Let that happen from this. So God, we thank you. We look to you now, Jesus. You are the chief shepherd. We just want to thank you for that. In your wonderful name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. You guys can take a seat. Why don't we get up for our leaders one more time?
hey, lastly, like I said, just two simple things. We're not going to end with worship because we do want to say, hey, there's groups, go meet them. So that's how we're going to end. Uh, but I do want to share like two things. The prayer walk, again, if you have not put that on your phone, put that on your phone. We'd love to see you there. And then in two weeks, like I said, is our one-year anniversary, and we're starting the book of Philippians on January 20th. January 20th is that potluck, picnic, barbecue at Sugar Sand Park in Boca. It's like seven minutes from here. Um, so if you could bring a dish, that'd be great, because it's a lot to feed people. Um, but that is really it, you guys. We love you. Have a great Sunday, and uh, please meet our leaders in the back. Just say what's up, talk to them, and that is it, all right? You can stand, you can go, hang out a little bit, get some coffee, get some snacks, but we'll see you guys in groups this week. See you guys.